Well, I'd like to start off this morning by taking a closer look at that first lesson we just heard, read from Ezekiel chapter 33. The theme of this lesson is God's exhortation to individual responsibility. That seems to be something sorely lacking in our world today, individual responsibility. We are each responsible for our own actions and for our own choices. We are responsible for choosing to follow God's will or for choosing to follow our own will. It's as simple as that. We're responsible for choosing to obey God's commands or for choosing to sin. We call this free will. Now, before this time, the emphasis in Jewish thinking was that if you were facing some hardships in life, it meant that you were being punished for the sins of your parents. But Ezekiel stresses that God's judgment equals consequences for our own sins, not for the sins of our parents. They are consequences for our own choices, not punishment from a stern and angry God, but the results of our own choices to turn from God and to follow our own will instead of his will. Now, the Bible says that, that God delights in those who turn from sin. In verse 11 of Ezekiel's um, prophecy, verse in chapter 33, God says this as he speaks through his servant, the prophet Ezekiel. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, says the Lord. Ezekiel was a watchman for God's people, Israel. And like Ezekiel, you and I are also called to be watchmen for God's people. We're called to be watchmen for the church. In verses 8 and 9, God says, If I, God, say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die. And you, speaking to Ezekiel, and you and me, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn away from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. He or she will die separated from God by the choices they've made to sin. But his blood I will require at your hand, God says. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his ways and he does not turn from his ways, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have saved your soul. So we're each responsible for our own decisions, but as believers, we're also responsible to be watchmen for the church. We're called to point out or to exhort others in the church to the dangerous roads that they're on when they have chosen, clearly chosen the wrong path. And that's exactly what we and our diocese, along with many other Orthodox Anglicans did when we took a bold stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result, we had to walk away from our church buildings and our property. There was a great cost to remaining faithful. There will always will be a great cost for those who strive to remain faithful. But remember that God promises through Ezekiel if you warn the wicked to turn from his ways, and he does not turn from his ways, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have saved your soul. Okay, so next, let's take a closer look at the second lesson from the 12th chapter of St. Paul's uh, letter or epistle to the church in Rome. In this lesson, God, through St. Paul, 
this time speaks to us about the dedicated life of a Christian. God speaks about how followers of Christ are to treat others. First, he speaks about how we're to treat other believers, and then he speaks about how we're to treat non-believers. First, fellow believers. Clearly and loudly, love is the common denominator here. The theme of Christian love is so important that in 1 Corinthians, after talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, Paul devotes all of chapter 13 to talk about Christian love. In today's epistle, Paul says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. As followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are called to love, bless, and honor fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And remember that when you do, you are loving, blessing, and honoring Jesus himself, because we, the church, are the body of Christ on earth. And then Paul continues, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. See, this is so important to Paul that he tells us that we must be energized, filled with zeal about how we feel about each other. And why is that? It's because as Christians, we each bear the light of Christ. We each are temples for the Holy Spirit. God lives inside each one of us. We are each Jesus's chosen representative, his ambassadors on this earth. We are each part of his body. That means that when we act, interact with other members of the body of Christ, we're interacting with Jesus himself. If we aren't willing to express our love for our brothers and sisters in the church, can we really say that we love Jesus in our hearts? And if we aren't willing to express our love for our brothers and sisters in the church, can it even be possible to really love Jesus in our hearts? Well, continuing at verse 13, Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We each have a responsibility to help others in the church. Those are the saints that Paul's talking about. And we're called to be in fellowship with one another. And that doesn't just mean after church on Sundays when you go and have coffee, when you're allowed to do that after this COVID thing. It means all the time. And now, I think this is the hardest one. Absolutely one of the hardest ones. Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. We are given a clear directive from God not to curse those who have hurt us. In fact, we're told to bless them, meaning we're called to pray for their forgiveness and for their salvation, regardless of whether they even want to be forgiven or saved. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So Christians are supposed to share in each other's joys and in each other's tears. And by the way, all are equal in the church. That's one of the reasons why when we do get to worship in person, I always ask, does anyone have any announcements to share with the rest of the congregation? and so that we can rejoice with those who rejoice 
and weep with those who weep. Paul says, repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So what's done is done. And we must always leave judgment and punishment for the injustice to God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to judge the sin. We are. But we are not to judge the person. What's done is done. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. In fact, Paul says in verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, well, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, it will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, Respond the way Jesus would respond. Respond the way Jesus did respond. And now, lastly, let's take a closer look at the gospel lesson from Matthew. It's chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Matthew reminds us uh, of Jesus' own words when he said, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, well, you've gained your brother. So, Jesus says to first speak with the offender privately, lovingly, and humbly, one-on-one. -on -one. And if that doesn't work, well, then you move on to step two. But if he does not listen, take two, one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So this particular step, it's a clear reference to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15 which says a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall the charge be established. So you've got to bring two or three others. And if that step doesn't work, Paul says move on to step three. If he refuses to listen to them, meaning those one or two others that you brought with you, Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So this particular verse speaks directly to the church's authority to discipline her members. It also speaks to every member's responsibility to submit to and to accept the church's discipline. When Jesus said, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, the you here is singular. So Jesus' command is to each individual member of the church, not to the church collectively as a body. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You know, Jesus says this to the apostles in several places in the New Testament. These statements, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, so it gives the church and her ordained ministers the authority to pronounce absolution. 
they are they're also some of the most hotly debated statements in the church because not all parts of the church believe that Jesus gave that authority to the apostles and to those who were later ordained by them as priests and bishops. In any case, that's a subject that would need way more time to discuss than we have this morning, so we'll move on to verses 19 and 20. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything and ask it, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And Jesus isn't saying here that if two people agree and pray about and ask God for something that no matter what that something is, that God will do it. That Greek phrase that's used here, that's translated about anything, it's talking about any judicial or legal matter. So here Jesus is talking about the church's authority and, and how that authority is to be exercised. He's not talking about praying to God, two or three people getting together and asking God to enlighten them about what the lotto numbers are going to be this Sunday. He's talking about the church's authority and how that authority is exercised. My brothers and sisters in Christ, it's, it's so easy to be tempted to respond in anger and even hatred when someone's done us wrong. But all three of today's gospel scripture lessons, they give us, I'm sorry, all, today, all three of today's scripture lessons give us clear direction as to how we as followers of Jesus ought to respond when we're wronged. None of that direction includes anger or hatred. So let's keep these lessons close to our hearts and let's try every day to do what they say, especially in light of all the division that we see all around us in our world today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.